There are a few lines from the Dhammapada, one of the early lovely texts of the Buddhist teaching. It says, all experience is led by mind, made by mind, preceded by mind. That with our thoughts we make our world, and that all that we are arises with our thoughts. The third foundation of mindfulness is a contemplation of what in Pali is citta. refers to consciousness, but the third foundation of mindfulness more specifically relates to mental states. You might think of them, this includes moods, it includes emotions, It includes the kind of general climate of the mind that is changing moment to moment. Some of these mental states, if you can get your head around that phrase, are quite lovely. Spaciousness, calmness, sensitivity, peacefulness, serenity. Many of them are quite lovely. Many of them are more difficult. Contractedness, agitation, aversion, restlessness. It is so important to be able to tune in to what the mental state of the moment actually is because this is the foundation upon which we build our world. This is a foundation upon which we conceive of the world and others and ourselves in a particular way. First of all, notice how your mental states change in a single day, in a single hour. From happiness to sadness, from despair to hope, from calmness to agitation, from empathy to aversion, how they can change in a single moment. And notice how your sense of self, your sense of identity, changes alongside with those changes. I'm happy, I'm despairing, I'm sad, I'm a failure, I'm getting somewhere, you know. How your sense of self is really being constructed on the basis of those mental states when they're not seen for what they are. Now, mental states or moods are pretty much the lens through which each moment is perceived. It's the lens through which each moment is perceived. What we perceive, we interpret, we think about, On the basis of our interpretations, we react to how we have perceived the moment. This is very clear. You know, if you feel very anxious, you look at the world, it looks full of threat. And we then react to that by doing everything we can to protect or to push away. If we look at the world through the lens of calmness, confidence, 
kindness. Well, it's populated with wonderful people, wonderful moments and wonderful things, and we react on the basis of that. If the mind is feeling very despairing or bleak, we look at the world, we look at ourselves, and all that we see is what is wrong. And we react to that, either getting busy, fixing, or avoiding. This is how our life could be lived without mindfulness. Think of how this operates for ourselves here, moment to moment. You know, perhaps you're walking into the hall and you pass someone you've been hanging out with here for a few days and you smile at them and nothing comes back. Well, if the mental state is particularly uh, insecure or anxious, you will interpret that. Oh, gosh, you know, I must have done something wrong, or they're a terribly unfriendly person, or, you know, they're so cold, and why did I ever think I liked them? And then we will react from that. You know, that's the last smile they ever get from me. You know, so, <laughs> so there's a sort of behavioral aspect here that is generated by the mental states. You know, in another moment, you might f- be feeling quite well, quite easeful. You might have exactly the same situation where you offer a smile that isn't returned. And because of the easefulness of the state of mind, it's, ah, well, that person's decided to be more secluded today. I wish them well. You know, I hope they have a wonderful day. And it's a completely different world, isn't it? So our world is being built. Our world is being built and constructed moment to moment. I mean, the great delusion is that we often think our mind is kind of like a mirror, uh, you know, accurately reflecting the way things are. Whereas actually our mind is nothing like that. It is actually constructing the way things are. Often on the basis of perception and perception never being innocent. Perception always carrying, tuning into associations, memories, but perception being shaded by the mental state of the moment. It is so important to be able to recognize our mental state. We see how a single sight or sound can trigger a mental state, can't it? You know, you might be sitting here quite peacefully and someone sneezes. You know, and, and we see that movement into agitation. Well, I sure hope they use their elbow, you know. <laughs> it's like the peace is just gone, you know. So, so sights and sounds are constantly triggering mental states. But mental states are also triggering thoughts and reactions. So there's a kind of looping or two-way street that is going on here. You know, you might be sitting quite peacefully and a difficult thought arises. And then you can see with that memory or with that thought, the whole mental state that has been associated with that memory reappears in the present. And we find ourselves repeating the same story or the same reaction or the same mood. Again, you know, you might have a thought, someone you've had an argument with in the past or felt hurt by, the thought only needs to arise and with it comes with it exactly that same mental state of hurt or rejection. 
or loneliness. This is a fluid process, obviously. You know, mental states are changing throughout the day. Some last more consistently. Uh, you know, they seem to hang around longer because in some ways when the mental state is really unquestioned and really dense, it's not open to new information. Everything is being filtered through it. So then it feels more solid and, and sadly, sometimes it's then mistaken to be more true. Whereas actually it's just more solid and not open to new information. So very, very helpful to be mindful of these states of mind, these moods through the day, being aware on the basis of them we are the architects of our world. And that is the world that we are inhabiting. And, of course, mental states are not permanent. They are not self. They are open to question. They are open to possibility. And in that fact, many, much of this path is about cultivating helpful states of mind. So let's look at what, how, we might, how we might approach an investigation into these mental states. First of all, we need to recognize there is always one present. So just look at your own mind right now. What is the mood? What is the state of mind that is present? Irritation, calmness, spaciousness, agitation. Just have a sense. What are the clues to that? You might feel the clues in your body. You know, if your body is feeling very restless, very agitated right now, that might be a clue to your mental state. The clue might be in the kind of thoughts that are appearing right now. It might be a clue to the underlying mental state. It's a way of tuning in. It's simply asking the question of knowing there is always an emotional tone. There is always a state of mind. So then we bring some discernment, that kind of knowing in here. We're actually developing a kind of emotional literacy through that knowing. Oh, this is sadness. This is aversion. This is peacefulness. This is calm. This is spaciousness. This is ill will. We're actually developing an emotional literacy in that, which is very helpful because even that knowing is actually the beginning of non-identification. It's being able to see a mental state as a mental state a mood as a mood, an emotion as an emotion, rather than, I am like this, you know, I am like that. So developing that kind of literacy to know a state of mind as it simply is. Then there's a second question here, and this is where we bring the discernment in. And this is actually what is helpful and what is not helpful. It's not what is bad, what is wrong, what is good, what is right, there's no right state of mind. But this is actually an important question, this teaching. What is helpful and what is unhelpful? It's actually, there is one of the discourses of the Buddha, you know, he said in the very early days of his own practice, this is what he did when he looked at his own mind. He looked inwardly and just applied that discernment to know what is helpful and what is unhelpful. 
Because, you know, what is unhelpful? What makes something unhelpful? Well, I'm sure you, you all know the answer to this. You know, it leads to more contractedness. It leads to more distress. It leads to more solidity. It leads to more proliferation. It leads to more identification. There are clearly states of mind that are simply unhelpful. So the Buddha talked about looking at his own mind, and he was just going to make this discernment, to know what is helpful, what is unhelpful, because that is the basis of wise effort. That is the basis of wise response. We know then what needs cultivating, what's helpful to cultivate, and what's helpful to release. What's asking to be understood. But this is the basis of, of wise responsiveness. The next question I think to ask of ourselves is to be aware that no mental state is self-sustaining. Depression, despair, ill will, sadness, uh, loneliness, and there's no mental state that is self-sustaining. The only reason that mental states sustain is because on some level, both the helpful and the unhelpful, I must say, because on some level those mental states are being fed. So how do we feed a mental state? Mostly through thought. You know, I might be feeling a bit, uh, a bit irritable. Well, I can find a lot of things that are irritating. And I will think a lot about them. <laughs> so there's a feeding. There's a feeding going on which strengthens and solidifies the mental state. So there's a real question about what, are, what am I feeding? What is being fed? What is being cultivated in this moment, as I mentioned last night? Is it helpful or unhelpful? The next thing to notice about mental states is, of course, is that they are very productive. They're very productive. Mental states produce thought that are flavored by the mood. So if you're aversive or despairing, you don't have thoughts of meta. <laughs> we chunter. You know, you know if, if the, the thoughts are always aligned with the mental state. But what is more difficult is that there's a kind of closed feedback loop system that obviously gets set up because if there is a, a mental state producing thoughts that are aligned with it, those, that proliferation of thoughts aligned with it actually turns back to reinforce the mental state so the irritation gets stronger or the despair gets stronger or the anxiety gets stronger, which means it produces more thoughts, which again turns back to reinforce the mood. And that's those moments when we can feel just, you know, this is how things are. This is how I am. It can feel so solid, so credible, but it's just the world we have constructed in that moment. Something else gets added into that looping system if it goes around a few times, you know, and it's the, the sense of identity. Oh, I am like this. I'm, I'm really lonely. I'm really anxious. I'm, I'm really annoyed, you know. And, and it becomes increasingly solid again because they, they, this is a kind of self-enclosed system. Mental states, thoughts, sense of self. So 
What are we doing in the practice? We're learning to question this sense of solidity, that this is the way you are, this is the way I am, this is the way the world is. We're learning to question that sense of solidity. Why? Because we can feel the suffering and the, the unsatisfactoriness of living our life through the lens of a view, a mental state. So we're learning to question, we're learning to unpack this a little bit. Sometimes it might be questioning the sense of identity in the moment. When I say, I am, we might be able to bring the question, am I? We might be able to come to the body and feel the mind state or the emotional state in the body. The body of sadness, the body of irritation, the body of anxiety, the body of aversion. We might be able to come back, check this in. It's stepping out of the looping system. So this is what we're actually trying to do, is to step out of these, this walking in circles. We might come to the body of the emotion, the body of the mental state, see if there's a way that is registering. We have a, a whole language system developed, don't we, that's, that really speaks to how, how mental states register in the body. Oh, they're carrying the world on their shoulders. You know, I've got butterflies in my stomach. You know, we talk about, we have a whole language talking about how mental states are registered in the body. And we learn to come to the body just to stay with those sensations of the mental state if that is perceptible to us. Sometimes we need to learn to interrupt the proliferation that is born of the mental states. The endless narrative, the endless stories. Meta practice is particularly effective in this. Protecting the mind from obsession. Protecting the mind from dwelling. Protecting the mind from this kind of uh, retelling ourselves over and over and over again. The story of ourselves, the story of the world. Then perhaps we're coming ever so much closer to being able to be with things as they actually are. A thought is a thought, a sound is a sound. A sensation is a sensation, a mood is a mood. Not solidified, not identified, not constructing a world out of this. This is not, as we've already mentioned, a new practice. You know, it's not a project, it's not an agenda. But it is, and today, you know, we continue to stay embodied, we continue to find our anchor, our foundation of mindfulness within the body. But it is helpful to pause now and again and to ask, what is the state of my mind? And to look for the clues. You know, if you've got a lot of repetitive thinking, you know there is a state of mind that's become more solidified. If you find yourself kind of being really quite impulsive, driven by impulse, you know there's a state of mind that is really driving that moment. Learning to pause and just to look. In the beginning of a sitting, end of a sitting, beginning of a walking, end of a walking, just pause, be able to ask, what is the state of my mind? Looking out for the clues. Okay, just settling, settling into the body.
Beginning the sitting in a very intentional way to be awake, to be present, to be here. And taking a moment just to check in with the state of your mind in this moment. Heaviness, brightness, calm, restlessness, irritation, easefulness. Simply knowing just the state of mind as it is, without judgment or blame, just knowing. And bringing your attention into the body, establishing an anchor of mindfulness, be it in the whole body, touching the ground, or the body breathing, or listening, and sustaining the attention in that anchor, in that foundation, as much as you're able. receptive to the moments your attention is drawn elsewhere, simply because something else has become more predominant, bringing the same simplicity, the same mindfulness to those moments. A sound is a sound, a thought is a thought, an image is an image, and being able to return 